0: What the footy. What the footy! What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have
1: lined up for you today. You know, everyone wants that surety of right, these are the twenty players you can work with. Work with them in preseason, have the preseason friendlies, and off you go. It ain't like that, Paul, is it? I'm back. And this week's podcast is with
0: Tony Sharkey, agent and CEO of the Football Transfer Forum, the industry-leading networking tool. Who better to speak all things transfers and player contracts than with Tony? Tony spends a lot of his day-to-day speaking and liaising with sporting directors, other agents, players, chief scouts, and more. So sit back. And enjoy us ramble on about how transfer strategy differs from club to club to release clauses. Should they be in every player's contract? Who knows? I'd love to hear your thoughts. So guys, I hope you love it. Not like it. I hope you love it. So you know what to do. Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. Being a kid in primary school now, it's <laughs> a in Arsenal. powerful people, and I think they need to recognize that. But then also, they need to be represented the Football. right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans, uh,
1: based on you know one single source of revenue
0: alone that being the, in the league. Let's just win this to appease the
1: fans.
0: Welcome to the What the Footy Podcast. Great to have you here, Tony. How are you doing today?
1: Um, really good, yeah. Very, very happy. Um, one of my long-standing clients just signed a good deal yesterday at Middlesbrough Football Club. So, nice. yeah, I'm on a bit of a roll. Yeah, everything's good.
0: Nice, no, good. It's good. Uh, I was just saying that this is my first one I've recorded in in quite a while. So if I'm if I'm a little bit rusty, you've got to give me give me a bit of leeway there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you're a professional. I know. I've seen you. I've seen the What the Footy podcast, I heard the What the Footy podcast and I know you're a seasoned professional now, Paul, definitely.
0: No, cheers, thank you. But we start the show off with um, this question, which is, what is football to you, a business or a sport
1: and why? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, It started out as a sport, uh, you know, when when you're growing up as a kid, you're just watching football. You love football. You want to be a footballer, which is what I wanted to be. And it's not until later on, I didn't make it as a footballer and I started becoming interested in the agency side of the business, that it became more a business than a sport. Um, And certainly, you know, that I think, football has al- almost always been professional, hasn't it? It's not like rugby where back in the day it was played by amateurs. Yeah. Um, football maybe in its roots many, many moons ago. You know, professionals have always been operating, you know, players have always more or less always been professional footballers. So it's, it's definitely a business now for me. Um, it's how I earn my living, um, which is, you know, as if you could pick a job, any job, doing something that you love doing anywhere yeah. is absolutely fantastic, isn't it?
0: No, hundred percent. And and we'll obviously get get into more about your journey, obviously playing football a little bit later on. But I just thought it'd be good to to sort of start off with talking about transfers and 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 the current landscape of things right now because it's it's crazy. Because I think it was only about sort of last year or so we're seen obviously a lot of clubs having to lay off a lot of staff and I think we're now in a position now where obviously we've seen the French league has been suffering a little bit with the TV deal, obviously now Amazon have stepped in, quite a few the illegal mm-hmm. clubs like Barcelona are, are sort of um, have, have a lot of debt on their hands and, and we're seeing Inter Milan having to, having to sell some of their best players all while the likes of City, Chelsea and uh, United are doing big business. What's what's the kind of feeling within the camp, sort of in in the agent's landscape right now?
1: Paul, you've summarised it really, really well there. You know, in fact, the actual clubs in the Premier League have probably come out of this pandemic. You know, it's caused financial chaos. You're absolutely right. It's caused financial chaos in many markets. You know, our big clubs have taken a hit financially um, when we look further down at the Championship and League One and League Two, they've taken a massive hit. You know, they're very reliant on the income received from crowds. But yeah, you're spot on. You know, the financial um, problems that ha- not having any spectators in your ground and the knock on effects of that have been felt right throughout the industry. I think because of the Premier League's TV deal or deals all around the world. And the fact that people consume our football through the TV, you know, all around the world, yeah. and and you know we're way above La Liga, we're way above uh, Serie A, we're way above Liga. So in terms of our viewers and the revenue we get, so we potentially, and I have to say when I say we, I mean the Premier League, has potentially come out stronger because. Their finances aren't in such bad shape. You know, when you look at Barcelona, what's happening with Messi, um, when you look at Real Madrid, when you look at a lot of the Spanish sides, they're suffering, they're struggling. And when, you know, you you, you mentioned France there, um, their TV deal was a big uh, disaster. A lot of their clubs, barring PS, PSG uh, and a few other of the top clubs, are finding it really really difficult and then you've you mentioned in the milan and i think that's more about an ownership issue i think it's more about the chinese owners and you know that that has come along as well you know about three or four years ago the chinese owners were being encouraged by their government to get out and spend money on football clubs in in the in western europe and they've done so and then about Two years ago, they sort of had a bit of a switch of, hang on a second, this plan isn't working, and and sort of pulling the horns in. And and that certainly happened at some of the clubs around Europe. So it's a really uh, complex situation in terms of the finances. I'm not the, you know, the person, I'm not the Kieran Maguire of football finance. But what I can see, Paul, is that, you know, perhaps Premier League clubs are picking up some, and inverted commas, bargains, you know if you look at players coming from france um or from italy or where or spain they're probably costing less than they were last summer that's for sure yeah. um you know i don't know whether the obviously the Jaden sancho deal was a massive deal but maybe last summer or the summer before that you know if this transfer was happening the the prices would have been at a massive premium where at the moment it's a buyer's market so our premier league clubs can pick up players um, below normal market rates I would suggest
0: yeah no that's 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 quite an interesting interesting sort of angle then and I, and I love how you sort of gave uh gave Kieran a plug there as well and I had him I had him, I had him, I had him on the pod um, a couple of months back as well and uh he gave quite quite a few mystic med predictions that I think we're definitely definitely sort of seeing now but just sort of going on onto Football Transfer Forum which you've got obviously in the background there for, for a bit of promo as well. Guys, make sure you check out Football Transfer Forum. Obviously, I know you speak of a lot of uh, scouts, heads of recruitment, people who are involved in, involved in transfers. Them coming onto the forum and being part of the webinars, what's, what's the kind of conversations being had in terms of, you sort of alluded to, to some of the stuff there, but what's, what's the main sort of feeling in the camp from those kind of people?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, the football transfer forum, uh, I started it, um, with Ryan McKnight in 2017. Yeah. You know, we've, we've had some great guests on, um, talking about their roles, their journeys, how to get into, you know, football scouting and agency work. Some of the companies that we've been on are showcasing their products. So it's, it's a, it's an industry tool if you like for people who work in the industry in in any shape or form to do with football transfers so that includes scouts sporting directors agents and the companies you know there's lots and lots of companies that operate in that space and talking to chief scouts and sporting directors you know everyone's finding it really really tough um obviously you go from club to club, each club's different. And and I like that about football, the fact that each club is in itself unique to a certain extent, with its own sort of fan base, its own community, its own values, its own ownership arrangements. And I do like that. But everyone's finding it difficult. You know, it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And the feedback that I'm getting is that it, it really is a tough market, you know. If you've got money, which a lot of the Premier League do, Premier League clubs do have, you know, it's a good market. It's a buyer's market, really. And you know, when you look at the Championship, and I think the Championship, Paul, is a fantastic league. Yeah, I, I think it's you know, it's a really strong league. Um, it maybe doesn't get the credit around Europe that it deserves. You know, I, I, yeah. the, we had a one of our webinars was talking about the Euros. And the Championship had more players than Liga in France. Admittedly, a lot of the best players have gone to other countries from France, but the Championship was just behind, it. like the Premier League had the most players there, then I think it was the Bundesliga, then I think it was might have been German, um, sorry, then it might have been Italy and then Spain, but the Championship was next and then France So it just shows you how strong the championship is. But when you look at the business that's been done in the championship, there's been hardly any signings for money. You know, people are looking to sell the odd player. You know, we're looking at maybe Adam Armstrong's going to join Southampton or wherever. That'll be an absolute godsend for Blackburn Rovers, you know, getting some money in. But if you look back to last summer, that's pretty much what happened last summer you know there's a lot of sales of players obviously Brentford you know cashed in on a couple of top top. you know the Ali slide, Watkins yeah. and ben Rama, Birmingham Duke Bellingham um there was lots and lots of transfers done Norwich had a few transfers back to the Premier League there was lots and lots of money coming in last summer to prepare these clubs for what was going to happen as well you know it had already started and so you know a lot of the good players did leave last summer. There's still obviously some deals to be done. Um, I mentioned Adam Armstrong as potentially one, but when you look at who's been doing business, I think Middlesbrough signed a couple of players for for money. Matt Crooks and the the the, the striker from um, Wickham. I'm um, I'm just struggling for his name now. Do you do you know which one I mean? I think
0: oh, I know. I was watching the game the other day. Yeah.
1: We watched the Fulham game.
0: Yeah, it was a good game. Harry, Harry Wilson. What, what a signing for um, Fulham, by the way.
1: Well, well, there you go. You know, the clubs that come down from the Premiership, like Fulham, can. You know, they've got parachute payments. They're in a very strong position. But other than that, who's spending money in the Championship? Yeah, true, yeah. I don't think many. You
0: know? But even just on your point there about um, championship players and, and player sales, I had Neil Bamfield on the, on the podcast who's um, assistant manager at QPR and, and and one thing you sort of mentioned there was the amount of, he was basically saying a similar point to you and how underrated the championship is and if you've looked at the last couple of years whether it's players like Matty Cash or, or Eze coming over to the Premier League and making that step up, these these are some top top players you've done that and it'll, it'll be great to see what what michael Lee saying the likes of adam Armstrong if he goes to to Southampton can really do and deliver because I think like you mentioned there these these are very 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 good players
1: yeah I, I think I think more so now I think people um are looking more to the championship with what's happened with brexit um but also I think there was a little bit of a I'm just trying to think of the right word. It was like, oh, we're the Premier League and you're a championship and there was a bit of a gap and and are our players in the championship good enough to step up into the the Premier League? Well, the the, the short answer is yes. There's lots of players in the championship who are good enough to step up. Sometimes they don't get the opportunity. Sometimes they go up because they've come up with their team. You know, they've been good in the championship. The team's got promoted. And then they've got a chance to prove themselves in the Premiership. If you look at Ollie Watkins, yeah. he's a really good example. Although you know, there's still a big gap between the Championship and the Premier League in terms of players and quality. It, I, I'm interested to see how Ivan Tony does in mm, the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a striker who you know he absolutely smashed it in the Championship and even you know, a Peterborough he,
0: as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's done them steps, come up and he's now in the Premier League. It'll be interesting to see, you know, Brentford will probably find it quite tough in the Premier League, to say the least. It'll be interesting to see how many chances are created for him and how many he can stick away. Um, I know he's good on penalties, but it'll be interesting. What's your sort of thing? What, what do you think in terms of how many goals is Ivan Tony going to score? Oh, Ivan Tony, the thing
0: finger... <sighs> I think I think he could be he could be that because I think we've seen players whether it was like Charlie Austin when he came up with QPR. I think he got double figures that season as well. I think I think Ivan Toney. I think he can get ten plus Premier League goals this season because if I look at the style in which Brentford kind of play play, if they're going to score a goal, it's most likely going to come from someone like him. So um, yeah, yeah. So, but so I'm, you're, I'm, going I'm
1: double, you're going double figures.
0: I'm, I'm going double figures and I'm going. Sticking my neck out, I'm saying Brentford, Brentford to stay up as well.
1: Wow, wow, yeah, great stuff. Well, yeah. I, I'm going for eight goals for Ivan Tony.
0: Yeah,
1: right, and I hope he scores more. He, he may well do, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking it's going to be really, really tough in the Premier League. You know, they're a possession-based team. How many, how many teams are going to, are they going to dominate possession at, at Arsenal? Are they going to dominate possession? You know, in many in many matches, yeah, but that's the thing. That's the thing that,
0: that they don't need to dominate possession in, in in those sort of big bigger so-called game. I think um, Thomas Frank and and, and the, the sort of the team he works with, they'll be looking at winning those games against the teams that finish sort of 11 to about yeah. sort sort yeah. of 18, 18 17th place. So as long as they can win those kind of six pointers, um, they have every chance. So yeah, see. no,
1: it's, it's it's a fair point. Yeah, hey, I'm just, asking the questions now, Paul. Yeah, no, you might, you might, as, <laughs> might, as, well,
0: you might as well swap the roles. I, do you know what it is? I, I I think I should be the managing director of the football transfer forum, and you should run the what the footy podcast, maybe. Uh, yeah,
1: that, that could work. It take a lot of stress off me. I think I could, I, I can step in if you need me to step into what the footy. Yeah, no.
0: No, that's brilliant. But yeah, just just going on to, to some of the stuff you mentioned there, I'm fascinated to know a lot more about. The whole concept of doing business early, typically hear fans sort of moaning a week before the season starts or the season started, why aren't enough players in, we still need this player, we still need that player. I think it's quite a fascinating concept because I can kind of imagine most clubs will have a transfer committee with, uh, with the chief scout, the head of recruitment, the sporting director, um get get the sort of the budget signed off kind of have a sort of a list of players they they want to try and sort of target whether that list sort of comes to fruition but sort of working from that and sort of sort of managing that how, how early does business business really start and are you really surprised when you see deals go go right to the wire
1: um yeah no i'm, I'm never surprised when deals go right to the wire um do you, do you know what? Every, I think I said it at the start. Every club is different, and how each club is sort of managed internally, and how they're—you you mentioned transfer committee, or the key players in, you know, in each club can be can be different. It can be the chief exec who's driving it with a sporting director. It can be the manager who's driving it with the finance director. It can be a group of people working as a unit who are identifying the players, identifying the targets and then going for them. I think once the clubs have done the scouting and the sort of due diligence on players who they're targeting, that's when the fun and games begin, I think, because let's, you know, let's say you have a list of five strikers that you want. The club may start really early. There might be one who's obviously up for sale or he might be coming out of contract. He might be a free agent. He might be, um, everyone in the football business knows that that player will potentially be on the market for whatever reason in the summer. So it is a first come first serve basis. So the club wants to get into their first target and talk to the agent, find out what, what the situation was, find out what his expectations are. Would he come to this club? And it might be a no, it might be, sorry, he doesn't fancy it, or he's going somewhere else, or there's something else on the agenda, or he wants the next league up, or whatever it might be, might be geography, and so they'll go the next, the second one, and so on and so forth. Now, that process is a time-consuming process. And there's also things where the player might have, and the agent might have, three or four clubs all vying for the same player i'm sure that was probably the case we talk about armstrong that was probably the case i know palace apparently were in um there was another club in. i'm just trying to remember which one it was or in the media obviously yeah. i'm not party to the deal so i don't know exactly what's happening and and each club will be talking to the agent and potentially at a later date to to, to blackburn rovers to see if they can do a deal. And, and the agents obviously, and with, with his player, has got to advise him as best he can, pick out which club he thinks would be the best for his football career. And it might be that finances are up there as well, might be that geographies up there as well, who knows. So that particular process doesn't happen overnight. And again, it might be that in some cases, And I've heard this statement so many times, this transfer window, we've got to sell before we can buy. We've got to sell before we can buy. If everyone's saying that, the market's stagnant, isn't it? And that's probably what's happening quite a bit in this particular market. People have got to sell a player before they can do any business themselves. So you know, maybe the fact that Southampton got some money in enabled that to then go, right, let's get the... Let's get the Adam Armstrong deal or whoever else in, because now we've got the money to do that. And that's taken them all this time in a little bit of a way. I used, I use the analogy of like the housing market. You can't yeah, move to your house say, yeah. until they sell theirs, you know? Yeah. Unless it's chain it's free. Little, it's yeah. yeah, yeah. Unless there's no chain involved where that yeah. means the club's got money or he's a free agent, there's, you know, there's no chain involved. And you're just saying, right, we'll pay the money. We'll get him in. And in them cases, and look, it's not just the fans who are wanting the signs on day one the head coach the manager calling what you want you know they want as many players in that they want to have at the club at the start of pre-season so they can work with them you know we find in um clubs who haven't done any deals we've already played one game and you know the premier league starting next week there's another game that that they've got the players that they've got last year but they've released some players so the you know the, the three or four Starters down, maybe four or five squad members down. So, you know, that's a tough situation. Um, Paul, I like the transfer window though. I, I do like the fact that there's a cutoff point because it, it is unsettling for players, yeah. it is unsettling for managers, for coaches when players are coming in and coming out. You might have been. I don't know, organising your shape and then you lose one of your key players and you think, oh, hang on, that that's not really going to work. We might have to change things or might have to change a particular position. Just tweaking things because of the transfer window. So everyone sort of, um, you know, everyone wants that surety of, right, these are the 20 players you can work with. Work with them in pre-season, have the pre-season friendlies and off you go. Ain't like that, Paul. Is it? Yeah,
0: do do you almost force though having preferred agents sort of makes that sort of job a little bit easier? Like, take for example, George Mendes at Wolves, for instance, in terms of getting those deals done early and sort of over
1: the line. Wow, George Mendes at Wolves, eh? Wow, um, you know, that you can't. I mean agents have worked as preferred agents at other clubs and it hasn't been a success there's been a couple that have happened that haven't been successful and george mendez in my opinion has been fantastically successful for wolves um he was enabling wolves to get players in the championship who were premier league players really um using his network his influence and if i i mean I don't know how how true this is, but he's got a, a big, strong influence on the first-team signings. However that works with the 4 group, I don't know. But in effect, you know, they get the best Portuguese players or, you know, players from his stable, or they get first refusal on them. I mean, even the Wolves' third kit, wasn't that a Portuguese kit? <laughs> Something like that. I think it was last season. Yeah. So... But but I can, you know, I can understand and lots of clubs um work with agents that they know and trust. That that's true, but that's just human nature, you know. Yeah, I work with happens. people, yeah, I work with people that I know and trust and I like, you know, and it just you gravitate towards them if they happen to have some good players as well, even better. And that's the same in the football world, you know, it, it can be quite a small world in, in respect of some of the um, individuals and characters who work in the football business.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. But I think now's a good time to uh, get into my favourite part of the show, which is uh, what the foot are you lying for? So um, have you prepared your uh, three statements, Tony?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting. And I and I, uh, there was loads of statements that I could go through, but yeah. I've got three. I've written them down here. Just let me have a quick reminder. So I'm just going to read through the t- statements. I'm going to try and put my poker face on so you yeah. don't guess which one's the lie. Um, so there's two true, is that right? Two true and one lie. One lie, yeah, that's correct, yeah. yeah. So my first ever booking was for a foul on Mark Hughes. Yeah. Right. I'll read it all three. Mario Mandzukic bought me a tequila shot. And I was Janino's minder. Janino. Yeah, the Borough player. Yeah, I
0: was gonna say Borough or the or the Leon one.
1: Um, no, Brazilian, Brazilian. I'm I'm a Middlesbrough lad, so. Okay, yeah. So Mark Hughes foul yellow card. Yeah. Um, Mario Mandzukic tequila or Janino's minder. Janino's minder. Oh. Um,
0: oh, do you know what it is? The, the first one, your first ever booking was for a foul Mark Hughes. Um, it's just so specific um, that I think maybe that might be the light. So maybe it was another player, but it wasn't Mark Hughes. Um, the the Borough one, you're a Borough fan and is like arguably like one of your best ever players. Um, so... I feel like that's that's the truth because you're because you're proud of that you wanted to get that one out there, um, and the middle one was oh, Mario Mandzukic buying you a shot of tequila.
1: Tequila shot. Tequila shot. Yeah, Mario. I don't quite... like I don't like tequila, Paul. I'm more of a Sambuca shot man myself. Tequila yeah, is hardcore. I don't, I don't mind either or, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time we're out, we can have a little go of each, anyway. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, Mario Mandzukic. Where would you admit him? On holiday somewhere? I'll just go with that as a... I'll go with that one as true, and we'll find out sort of towards the end. Um, but, yeah, I thought it'd be obviously good to as well um, sort of delve in and speak about sort of player contracts, because I know you'll probably work with a lot of them as well. And we're sort of seeing this thing whereby I'm, I'm not quite sort of understanding things because you have players who are sort of in their prime, like a Wilfred Zahar or sort of like a Harry Kane, and, and they're signing these sort of five, six-year deals, and there's 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 no sort of release clauses in there or, or, or anything to kind of get them those moves to the next level that they want. I just love to to know and understand that because, for example, here in Christian Perslow talk about Jack Grealish's release clause and, 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 uh, and how that sort of enabled him to go to City, I was just li- literally just sitting back and thinking, what a fantastic job Stella and, and Grealish's lawyers have really done to, to enable him to, to put something in there, to enable him to, to get to the level that he wants to get to. But I just have, I don't really understand this, this trend of players signing these long-term deals
1: when they have all these big aspirations. I think that's in the negotiation, Paul. I think yeah. if you you know, your player is doing well at a club, it's natural for players want to have that, um, the longer contract, the the period of certainty, the know, the secure, the, They're secure in the futures, aren't they? You know, if you yeah, sign yeah. a, cool. if you're a good young player and you sign a five year deal on big money, that's you for life, isn't it, really? Yeah. That's you for life. You've secured your future, and I can understand why players want to do that, and and that's great. The release clause is a is a negotiation between the agent and the club. And if if the club's offering a four year deal on big money and they say, look, we don't want a release clause in there, we're resisting the release clause, then it, it's, it's open to it's open to yeah. offer, isn't it? And I think that you know that situation and, and let's face it paul the release clauses have, have really come from spain we, we didn't have release clauses on any players you know it was pretty much the club to to put the price on the player and then you know people to 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 bid up to that or bid over it or whatever release clauses has come as quite a recent occurrence i would suggest um but it just does make things easier you know if there's two or three clubs bidding there's nothing better for a club chairman if there's two or three players uh two or three clubs bidding for your star striker he can sit back and or she can sit back and just watch the 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 numbers tick up and 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 you know go with the preferred option um so yeah it seems to me the Jack Grealish thing was really smooth um obviously Villa I think what I did like about Villa's business, they did some business before Jack Grealish arrived, knowing that that was money coming in. And obviously, if you're going into the market and somebody knows you have got 100 million for Jack Grealish, they're going to ask pretty much another five million, another 10 million on their on their player because they know you can afford it and they know you need that position. Yeah. Whereas I know they brought a few players in, so there is a danger to signing long-term contracts that you get into that situation where you know, you, you desperately want to move. But in the end, Paul, if a player's not really happy, can you keep him for another season and, and, and say, look, all right, we'll let you go next season. I think there's a few examples of this, of top players staying for a season uh, with a with an agreement that, he, that the player can leave the next yeah. season or something like that. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, Interestingly, up at Newcastle, the the very you know they do like signing long term contracts because they're protecting the transfer value if a player does really really well. So a player's got a long term contract. If he's got a year left, he's not going to be as worth as much. If he's got three years left, you know you're in a much stronger negotiating position if he's got three yeah. years than you are with one year left. Um, so that, you know I know Pia up, up at Newcastle where I'm based. If they do like to sign longer-term contracts with players in in the expect in the hope and expectation that those players will then attract interest and if there is a transfer fee, it'll be a big one.
0: Yeah, because it's it's a funny one because from a club perspective, you want players on long-term deals because you hold all the chips, but then from the players' perspective, you you want the certainty of a long-term deal, but at the same time. You may want to make that step up, and you have to effectively look after your own interests. Like I had, had Chris Kirkland come come on the podcast, and he spoke about um, almost being forced out the door. Of Wigan It's a thing whereby if, if a club wants you gone, they want you gone. So at the same time, the club has no loyalty to to players. The so players have to have to find ways to to look after their interests as well. So
1: yeah, Paul, Paul you use the word loyalty there yeah and and let's be let's get this right. If a player's not doing it for a club, they won't keep him on. You know uh, players have a very short career um, generally. and most players that I know wanna play as much as they can and they want to get as high as they can. You know, there will be some players who say, oh listen, i'm I've, I've been born and bred in Liverpool, that's me club. I'll stay there for my whole career. I'll be happy. You know, that's absolutely fine, but that's not the norm, is it? It's normal for players to, you know, they're playing football professionally, they're playing to make their uh, living to, you know, that's what their job is. And most of them want to be, get as high as they can, win as much as they can. And I think that's, that's the, you know, that's the goal. If, if your player says, Oh no, I'm happy sat here. I only ever want to be a league two player. I've never heard anyone say that. Yeah. I've never heard any of the players that I've dealt with ever say, no, I'm happy in league, I'm happy in league two. They all want to be better, get up the leagues, play for as much money, play for the bigger prizes, play for, you know, whatever floats their boat, most of them are driven to to play at a higher level as, as they can. And 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 you know, let's put money to one side. At the end, these the and the players you mentioned. You know, they'll be all right for the rest of their lives, probably. Yeah. I think, I think some, some, you know, some of your targets are you want to win trophies, you want to be in the Champions League, you want to be in, you know, the top of the Premier League, you want to be, you know, competing with the best. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, we've just had the Olympics on a different level, but everyone wants to be competing with the best, don't they? So, you know, football is no different, really.
0: Yeah, and, and I was going to ask as well, just, just just linking it back to yourself, did you feel like you're sort of... How do you feel is your experience, obviously, being a being a former professional, how does that really shape how you look after your players as well?
1: Well, I, I really... Paul, I wouldn't call myself a professional footballer. I had one year at Leeds United. So yeah. what happened to me, Paul, was um, I only wanted to be a footballer, um, Leeds was my team. I grew up in Middlesbrough but I was supporting Leeds. Uh, It just happened that they were, I think it was one FA Cup back in the day, the the beat Arsenal, the FA Cup final. I started supporting them. I always liked Middlesbrough as well. I'm a bit of a strange one in that respect. Uh, Two clubs. I was ball boy at Middlesbrough. I've been on trial at Middlesbrough. But I went to Leeds when I left school at 16. I was an apprentice there. I loved it Leeds. It was fantastic. I had a year's pro. I think it was hundred pounds a week, Paul. So I wasn't like, <laughs> <playing it. laughs> but that was in the early eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could afford a decent shirt. I remember, although I think some people would beg to differ. But um, no. So I was a I was a pro for a season there for a year. Um, got released at nineteen, um, and what happened to me? Really, nobody bothered from the club. You know, once I'd left. Nobody helped me. Nobody helped me. Um, It was a scout. There was a scout who found me a, a trial at Darlington, right? He rang up the house, said he'd got me a trial at Darlington. And Darlington were, well, the equivalent of League Two at the time. So I went to Darlington on trial, played a game. They asked me to stay on another week, played another game, did really well. And the manager, called me in at the end of the trial and said, listen, you've done brilliant. You've done really well. We, uh, what we'll do is we'll offer you 70 pounds a week as a professional contract. So, and this is, this is leading me into the agency side. That I'll talk about it in a bit. Yeah. So what I said to him was I was a naive 19 year old, didn't understand how the business worked. Um, he just offered me the 70 pound a week contract there and then. So I just said to him, listen, thanks for the offer, but I'll wait for something better to come along. And the punchline is I'm still waiting. <laughs> so, so, oh, that is brilliant. so, 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 you know, what I should have done and if I'd have had an agent, then I hope the agent would have said, listen, take the deal, play your football at Darlington, work your way back up if you can and off you go. And I drifted into non-league at a good level. I did a PE degree, and then I, I did, had a cruciate injury, um, which was a pretty bad one. And I didn't ever get back into football. But you know, those words haunt me. You know, I'll wait for something better to come along. They do haunt me. And and when I think of my agent self advising me, younger self, like yeah. I say. That's part of the reason, and, and you know, most agents, and this is the, this is the perspective that the media gives, mm. it's all about the George Mendezes and the Minariolas and the big money deals. You can give advice to a young 18, 19 year old that can make a difference to them. That's the difference between actually making it and not making it, actually getting a deal or not getting a deal, falling out the system or staying in it for a little bit longer to give him give him or her, I keep saying him, but obviously there's, you know, the women's football is absolutely flying at the moment, isn't it? So, but I'm very much focused on the men's game. Um, But as an agent, you can be a mentor, you can give advice and guidance to young players that can be absolutely priceless. You know, it can be uh, keeping them on the, the, the right path, you know, talking about things that you need to do to be a professional footballer just helping them understand what happens when you go out on loan why am i going out on loan what do i do when i'm out on loan how does it work you know all these things and make a massive difference to young young men who are trying to become professional footballers
0: yeah and just following on from that i wanted to know like what sort of trends are you seeing in the sort of football agency landscape because like you sort of mentioned there when when people think of like, I've always believed that, and that's why I always try and get agents coming to my podcast, whether that's Akin, Eddie Bonsu, Toby Wakefield, people like yourself, because
1: a lot of agents get a lot of bad. rap. I'm seeing a lot of yeah. people who are are trying to be as professional, professional as they can be. Yeah. They're trying to do a good job. Um, you know, I work for for, for players. That, you know, they, their interests are paramount to me. I tell you what we are seeing, Paul. You know, when when FIFA deregulated agent activity in 2015, there was probably about 450 agents that were licensed. They called it the license because you had to pass an exam in this in England. Um, You know, I passed my exam in 2002. So FIFA deregulated in 2015. Now there's about two and a half thousand agents so we've had a almost over a five-fold increase in the last five or six years of agents and there's a lot of newcomers in the game you don't have to have your agent's license Um, so there's lots of competition for players who wants to try and represent players the other big trend that we've really seen accelerate in the past um probably eight to ten years is the big agencies are dominating you know the real big agencies have hundreds of players on their lists and you know independent agents like myself who find it hard to compete with the big agencies that have media guys uh, sponsorship guys and girls um, all you know the big backroom office that can help players but I think more importantly for us, the independent, it's that personal service where you know I become very close with my clients. In fact, client doesn't really co- cover the relationship; it's more like friends, you know. Yeah, and and yeah. when when they retire, the players retire. You know, I'm still in touch with them, and I'm well. There's a couple of them who are coaches and managers now, so. You know they're still in the game but there's a couple that aren't and and i'm still in touch with with those guys so it's um you know the the, the trends i think there's more people wanting to get into the agent field that's certainly true i think the big companies are dominating and we've seen you know we've seen the american um sports agencies take over Stella uh, take over base, take over key, key sports has gone into Wasserman, I think. Yeah. So the Americans have seen that the agency field, yes, there's some American, um, people owning clubs now, the, 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 obvious ones, but they've also seen getting into the agency world is a really good option as well in terms of investment, in terms of building a business. Um, and obviously that's where they've, you know, they've focused a lot of their time and attention.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. But yeah, just some sort of quick fire questions before I find out the answers to, uh, to your three statements. I'm a bit, bit sort of nervous for that. Um,
1: <laughs> Are you under pressure,
0: Paul? I'm under pressure because it's the first one of the season, so I've got to come flying out the blocks for it. So, um, But yeah, which club in football do you think is the best at player recruitment?
1: Wow, wow. That's, that's a really good question. Do you know what? It would be helpful, and and there's lots of people out there who are very good with stats and spreadsheets and dissecting football and analysing football so much better than I could ever do. It would be great to actually log every single club's transfers and who did them, who was the sporting director, who was the manager that brought them in for the last 10 years and see who's traded well who's traded not so well, and also who's got value for money from the players. So what I mean by that, Paul, is, you know, you can look at Monchi, Monchi at Sevilla and say, wow, look at the players that he sold. Look at what he bought that player for and look at what he sold the player for. The other, the other thing is you might sign a player for 10 million, and he's your club captain and you have him for six or seven years and he does a fantastic job on the pitch and then he leaves on a free when he's 33 yeah that's been a fantastic signing for you hasn't it Yeah. but in in the in the way we're looking at oh he's got that player and he sold him for that you know I'll I'll name a couple of clubs and I really do like Brentford I really do like Brentford and I You know, I've been talking about Brentford for five years, really, and the fact that they've got into the Premier League this time, I felt they should have got up last year. Last season, yeah. I don't know. I actually felt last year they were a little bit stronger with Ollie Watkins and Ben Rama, And I think Brian and Buemo had a better season last season. They got pipped at the post by Fulham, didn't they, in the playoff final? But So this year, them getting up was absolutely fantastic. But their recruitment model, you know, buying young players, developing them. And I think what Brentford do really well is it's not just in the recruitment of the player. So let's let's take a really top example. Ollie Watkins comes from Exeter, whatever it was, £2 million or whatever. But he's not the finished article they prepare players they you know get the, the the maximum out of them in terms of performance understanding of the game and if you remember Ollie Watkins was playing on the on wide on the left Yeah. and then last the, the season before he moved to Villa he swapped into the central striker role made it his own I didn't realize he could head a ball as well as he can,
0: yeah, you know, really. and he yeah, did yeah.
1: absolutely fantastically well. Got his move, and they, you know, what was it from a two million to a 28 29 million pound transfer? That's great business, isn't it? It's fantastic yeah. business, and he ain't the only one that Brentford have done. It's true, yeah. Um, because he, he, so even, even the
0: point, sorry, even the point you mentioned there, everybody who I speak to. League One clubs, League Two clubs, they all mention Brentford and Brentford's model. And, and it's not even, even just what you said there. It's not even just sort of buying a player and selling him money. It's also a fact, if I look at Josh De Silva, who he who, was who friends with, um, with with quite a few guys I know locally, and someone like yeah. him like leaving Arsenal, and the way they've improved him as a midfielder into so just an all-round box-to-box player is incredible. Paul? Oh.
1: Paul, that's a brilliant example you picked yeah. there. I mean, I love Joshua Silva. I think he got injured. Um, maybe with a couple of months of the season to go, yeah. it. I don't think he'd be. Star- I don't know whether he'd be starting in the Premier League. Um, I don't think he's back yet. I don't. I haven't yeah, seen, seen anything that. in preseason. But he. You see, this is clever from Brentford. The academy wasn't working, so they did something else. You know, they had. When they had the academy, they're in London compete in a, some of the biggest clubs on the planet for yeah. players how are you going to do that how are you going to do that the only player who would had through the academy was actually or that had money from or had made a serious dent was Alfie Mawson actually Alfie Mawson was in the academy he wasn't really fancied he'd gone out to Wickham And then Barnsley signed him and subsequently Swansea signed him and they got a sell-on from the Barnsley transfer, I think, or maybe the Wickham transfer. But, you know, they created the B team, but they also looked at those players who drop out of the big clubs or they can take from the big clubs at low fees. And I think that's a really interesting market because there's lots of good young men who can't get in the first team and it's not surprising because the first team is like massively up there isn't it it's unbelievable they have to either go out on loan or maybe a Brentford can take them mould them develop them and like you said that's a great example he's a he's a Premier League player all day long yeah. uh, Josh De Silva um for me
0: no 100% and uh, I was going to ask uh, which club do you think has done the best
1: business this summer so far oh wow um is it easy just to say man united with i mean obviously everyone loves jim sancho um is it i'm i'm yeah i'm not are you talking about Premier League or does it does it matter where where I pick the? Doesn't yeah, really matter because
0: I... everyone yeah. shows a lot of focus on the Premier League, but there's 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 more clubs in England yeah. than than just the twenty in the Premier League. But, a- absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, you, do you know I was going to say Leicester? I I, th- I like what Leicester. You know Leicester yeah. have been um, a, a, a fantastic club. You know when they won the um, the Premier League that year, it was incredible. Friend of mine, Steve Walsh, sporting director. Yeah. He was the guy who signed kante and mares so leicester was probably up there with the brentfords of this world because you know signing riyad mares and kante f- for very small money and and getting them into the team and you know doing what they did and then selling them on as well was fantastic um i'm interested to see how pats and uh, daca works out yeah. for leicester a friend of mine had a a role in 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 that um so that'll be interesting and i and i do think leicester are doing a hell of a lot of things right you know on the pitch and off it they've got a, a new fantastic training facility fun, that yeah. they've um that they've now got and that's where i am about you know it's it's all well, well and good bringing players in but you've got to try and improve them when you do bring them in you know, you're not just bringing them in because they're at the top of their game. You're bringing them in to improve them, to help them become better players, to give them that Premier League appearance if they haven't had it before, to get them playing in the Premier League. And if you if they do that successfully, then with respect to Leicester, yeah. your Chelsea's, your Man United's, whoever will come. So, yeah, I think I think Leicester have done done some decent business. Villa have done some decent business, both incoming and outcoming. Yeah, you know absolutely um yeah i i mean have liverpool done anything yet not not really yeah, One, yeah. one center back in um which is your scarf there's that who is that
0: uh Schalke's from one of my previous guests but i'm an arsenal fan yeah oh you're an arsenal fan yeah yeah, yeah.
1: What, what what do you think of the arsenal business
0: um i think ben ben watts a good a good signing in my opinion i think he's one oh, for the future oh. and and yeah. in terms of yeah the strategy we're going for now in terms of people like Kieran Tini, he was sort of 23, 24 building for the future. Um, I Mm. like that. Uh, Sambi Lankanga as well, sort of uh, referred by Thierry Henry, works at Belgium, happy with that as well. Nuno Tavares, um, a player who I've kind of been looking at when he was playing in in, in Portugal as well, happy with that. But we need to, we need to strengthen a bit in, in, in the midfield as well, I think. And, um potentially also need to maybe have have a bit of a of a reshuffle and maybe get get a few a few boys out the door maybe as well, but
1: yeah, uh, and what about the goalkeeper situation what's happening there? has he impressed you uh
0: leno mm. yeah i think um I think he's a good goalkeeper um I was a bit obviously sad to see emmy Martinez
1: leave obviously um. So, with us another, from, another from. great signing from Villa yeah, yeah. You know, I was speaking to the Villa goalkeeping coach really good I mean he's he's flown hasn't he since he left Arsenal I mean I saw him I saw him down at Reading when he was on loan yeah. um, but what he's done in the last year to 18 months has just been phenomenal and obviously he's now a, a, a champion with copper, winning the Copper yeah. America isn't he with Arge- you know being in goal for Argentina how that, that's massive isn't it it's absolutely massive and yeah. um, I think he's a big loss for Arsenal. I, I really do. I think he could have been number one for some years to come and it looks like he's gonna do that for Villa. Yeah,
0: do you know, it is you just need a bit more, but it's it's a thing whereby I look at what other clubs are doing and studying them and even Aston Villa, like I think Emmy Buendia and even even Danny Ings, like I think I looked at the stats for I have been a big I've been screaming about Danny Ings for the last two to three years and and oh, I'm wow, never, wow. I've never, I've never understood why no club has really gone in from. I think his stats are yeah. since the start of the 2019 season, not including penalties. Only Harry Kane and Mo Salah have scored more goals than him. So wow, wow, I didn't but looking, that. You know, yeah. look at looking at a player like that. I, I don't know how the likes of Tottenham, if they're going to lose Kane, aren't, aren't. looking at someone like him, or or in potentially other clubs as well. So so yeah
1: yeah no no it's it look listen it starts next week it's going to be a really interesting season it's great the fans are back as well but but i think there's a lot there's a lot more to be done in the transfer market you know yeah. what is it the 14th of august um we've got two weeks left um actually funny enough a, a player i it was a it was one of my favorite deals that I've, I've ever done it was only a loan move but it was uh chelsea to arsenal yossi benayoun it was oh, deadline nice. day yeah. yeah it was it was deadline day and it was about 10 30 in the evening and i'd like I had to drive down from newcastle and yossi was on on a flight back for international duty um and he, we, we, we like sealed the deal with about fifteen minutes to go or something like that. And it was only a, a, a loan deal, so it wasn't a difficult deal to do. But it was just that when you're watching the clock tick by and you're sort of thinking, oh yeah, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? It was like that ultimate jeopardy. You know, you just don't want it. You know, you don't want to miss out, do you? So, but. um yeah, that's like, that's the sort of buzz of deadline day. You know, I I drove away from the, the training ground uh, there and I was like, absolutely buzzing because we just got it in, in time for the deadline, you know, and then, you know, I can have a bit of a sleep in the next day. <laughs>
0: no, no, that's good. And uh, an upcoming agent to watch out for?
1: Oh, oh you've really put me on the spot. Um, I, I tell you what, I'm... I'm what i'm going to do is i'm i'm not going to answer that question paul but what <laughs> i think what I, what i'm going to say is that there's some agents that i know some some people who i've worked with and i've seen acting in the business over the years and i honestly think they would make great sporting directors mm. they've they've seen everything about the business They've seen how football transfers work. They, they know, they understand how the loan system works. They understand what it takes to get a deal done. They've got brilliant networks. They've got they've got so much going for them that I think in the next five, five or six years, those chief execs who, who aren't the wheelers and dealers of, of the, the, the transfer window, they're not the Daniel Levy's who you know, really Parrish get stuck shouldn't. in. you know if they're more of the if they're more of the sort of keeping you know being a ceo as we traditionally see them then getting some of these guys in who who know the agent business they know the transfer market they know the the marketplace is a really shrewd move for me it's a really shrewd move because i think that people are judged on what you recruit and who you recruit and you know when you talked about preferred agents and and George Mendez, you know, it doesn't have to be that tight a relationship, but you know, you get somebody working in your club who understands the transfer market and it gives you a real head start, I think. The thing about the image of the agent as being unscrupulous and ducking and yeah. diving and all that, it, you know, in, in many examples, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, there's some real professional people, really well-educated people who are working in the agent business, who've got, you know, the, the, the know-how to do Um, they know how to manage players' careers, they know how to help players, they know how to mentor players. And for me, those guys would be great working in a club environment. If you're a young player and somebody comes to you they're from a big agency and and they mention the name of the big player who their agency looks after, don't be blinded by that. Go with the person that you think is going to be best for you, who's going to give you the most time, who's going to give you the best attention, you know, you don't want to be hard to get hold of, you, you know, your agent needs to be present. He needs to be watching you. He needs to be coming up. We, you know, we've had some lads up in Newcastle whose agent maybe come from London, uh, sign them up, don't see them until it's time to sign a deal or until they get released. And And sometimes they don't hear from them if they get released, you know, so oh, wow. it's important for the agent to be, to be present, to make sure you know you're watching their games, or you know what's going on, and you're you're actively involved in their um, their career.
0: No, I think I think that's that's really important stuff like analytics, sports science, sort of helping them with those aspects as well. And and basically, in short, if you're a young player, you want a, you want a really good hands-on agent. <laughs> get get at Tony. Get at my man Tony. <laughs> get
1: at my oh, man Paul. Tony. Paul, I hope I've, this advert for me has been a successful one.
0: <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. But it's now time to reveal your answers to uh, what the foot are you lying for?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll go through them. Um, oh, do you just want me to cut to the chase? Which No. One? Go, wait, go, I... through,
0: go through each of them, but tell me which one's, which one's the lie first.
1: Right. The lie was I was Janino's minder. I was never Janine was minder. Um That that one I had to make up. I just had to think about it. Um, my first ever booking was for a foul on Mark Hughes. That was in the FA Youth Cup at Old Trafford. Um, in fact, we'd drawn at Ellen Broad. We went to Old Trafford. And they, Norman Whiteside, was playing in their first team. And they brought him back into the under-18s to play against us in in the Youth Cup. I think it was oh, wow. quarter-finals of the Youth Cup. But the best player on the pitch was Mark Hughes, <laughs> which was great. You know, Norm Whiteside, fantastic player. But Mark Hughes on the day was a bit unknown, but he was the best player on the day, so hence I kicked him and it was a straight, well, it was an obvious yellow. Uh, the Mario Mandzukic thing, one of my friends has a, a big player at Atletico Madrid, I was over there watching him. He's the goalkeeper actually, Jan Orblack. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, I was over there as his guest, watching Jan play um, Mario Mandzukic after the the, the big um, Real Madrid 4-0, I think, at home in the old stadium, the old stadium. Mario Mandzukic was at the restaurant we went to after the game and he sent our table over. He didn't send it over to me, but he sent our table um, shots of tequila which is nice. great. No, you know, good. And, and Yano Black didn't have his, I had to have his. Uh, you so, know, you had so.
0: Two, so you had t-shirts of tequila that you absolutely hate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. But yeah, it was a, a nice night in Madrid.
0: No, that's good, that's good. But yeah, we always like to end the show with the what the footy question. So we've kind of alluded to quite a few things so far, but what the footy needs to change or
1: happen within your space? Oof, That's a real good question. I mean, I'm probably going to talk about the agent business, I think. Um, And I think we, as agents, we need to be recognised more as stakeholders of of football. We need to be part, a proper part of football. We're often kept outside of the normal um, football business and the normal football landscape. I think agents, you know, for me, there's this thing leveled at agents about taking money out of the game. I don't think that's a a, a realistic criticism. You know, everyone who's paid by a football club could be, you know, taking money out of the game. I think agents are a vital part of football. You know, the main protagonists, which are the players they want and they need agents uh, to help them, you know, navigate this really tough business um i'm sort of welcoming the fact that fifa are going to regulate agents and, and do it on a worldwide basis i'm not particularly comfortable with them uh, putting any caps on commissions of agents or anything like that but i'm quite comfortable if they bring back education and training for agents the exam for agents um, making sure the payments get paid um, to agents as well you know that. That that those sort of reforms for me will really help the agent business, and and also it will help to eliminate people who aren't operating as professionally as well.
0: No, that's brilliant. Thank you. But Tony Sharkey, Mr. Football Transfer Forum, the agent, the man who looks after players and gets them the best possible deals. Thank you for coming
1: on the What the Footy podcast, and uh, hopefully catch up again soon, man. Brilliant, Paul. I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. Thanks thanks a lot for having me on. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy?
0: What the footy?
1: New Southamalladay liked
0: me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. being a kid in primary school, now supporting <laughs> a <putting laughs> awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the Football right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that, that being so well the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans.